You are listening to a live message from Gold Street Garden Church with Dr. Dominic Butler. We are thrilled to have you join us for today's message. Our prayer is that you would see Jesus clearer than ever before and your desire to know him personally would increase in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. Tonight is going to be a little more sobering, but it's going to be, it's much needed. You know what I'm saying? I'm thankful when the Lord spanks me a little bit. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And I really believe we need massive realignment with what's most important right now. When I read the Bible and I see the church as a whole, I'm grieved a lot. I'm just being real. Is that is anybody else that way? Uh, I'm not saying that you have to be that way or whatever. I just, I'm seeing the state of the church. I'm not even talking about the world. The world, it's a given, right? I'm not expecting the world to be super, you know, peachy and everything going. In fact, I expect them to be at each other's throat and everything. But the church is, is, is grieving my heart. And I'm, I put myself in that too. I want everybody to understand that I want to approach a few things from, from my heart that Gold Street Garden is my assignment from the Lord. And it's my responsibility to make sure that anybody in my influence is ready for the wedding day. You know what I'm saying? That Jesus is coming back for a pure bride. And if he tarries, you're still going to have to stand before him regardless And I have a responsibility to do, and it's not just to get everybody all hyped up. We'll go after the harvest. We'll go after those things. But we need to make sure that this gospel is being lived out through our lives. Amen. And because of the information age we live in and the access everyone has to get so much information at any point, the church is is swaying all the time. What does James say? If you are double-minded in all your ways, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Do you know how much of the church is double-minded right now? A lot of the church just thinks that the Bible is just what the, you know, the latest prophet is saying about politics. I shared this with a few people and I feel led to share. Did you know that Jesus, God used a corrupt government's execution system to offer salvation to the world. God used a corrupt government's execution system to offer salvation to the world. It's crazy. He infiltrated the enemy's tactics from every sphere. We talked about it months ago, but the reason humility always wins is because it's a blind spot to the enemy. The enemy is never expecting humility. He's always blind to it. And that's exactly how Jesus came. He was the lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't, they were expecting a king to overthrow a government. And Jesus infiltrated it with humility. And when the enemy thought he had him dead, what happened? Then a million Jesuses came up, right? (laughs) We spread everywhere. They thought they took them out, but then the children of God roared. And that's what we're going to 
talk about tonight because we're talking about restoring the roar. So can you go before me with prayer right now and just get your hearts expectant to be taught of the Lord tonight? And I want to say one last thing before we pray. Don't even, when you hear me say things and talk, make sure you find it in the word or it lines up with the word. And I'm even saying that as a man, you know what I'm like? I want us all to be diligent to read the word. And I want that to be the final authority, not just somebody with a microphone. And I'm saying that humbly, that I can miss it sometimes. I've listened to myself from like five years ago. And I'm like, man, I said that. That was wrong. And I had to repent. And I'm just being real. But I always have a heart that I want to see people's lives changed and delivered. But we always have to be humble and realize we can miss it at times. And pride makes us so deceived. It, it's the, it, we, we just have to be willing to admit when we're wrong. And that's why I want you all to know that by no means am I getting up here saying, I know all these things. I'm just humbly being a messenger of the Lord saying that I'm reading the word and this is what's coming alive to me right now. And I want to share it with you all. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is the teacher, not me. I yield myself to the Spirit of God. Lord, I thank you for every hearer in this place tonight, that they would be forever changed, not by just words, not just by a good sermon, but that they would be changed by Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you manifest yourself real to people tonight, people that are in this place that are like, I really want to serve God more. I want to know more about God, but I've just been hurt by church or I've been hurt by people that talk about Christianity. And I know there's more, but I just don't know. Lord, I thank you that tonight, that no matter if there's a mature believer in here or somebody that is not sure where they stand, that the Holy Spirit would reveal Jesus to the hearts of men and women tonight. In Jesus' mighty, precious name, all God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, how many people were at the, uh, I know it won't be any women, but who came to the men's group this past Sunday? Wasn't, didn't we have ourselves a time? Can I get a little roof in the house? You know, <laughs> a, a roof or a, I don't know if that's a jaw roll or something. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> DMX or something. That's, it's bad, bad. Um, <laughs> well, DMX is saved now, so it's all good. He gave his life to the Lord. <laughs> I, if you were at the men's group, you were going to find yourself uh, getting a, a semi-recap because I had something prepared for tonight and the Lord said that that was a word for the body. And how many people that were at the men's group can testify that we need to hear it again? And I, I want to lay a little groundwork before we get to that. Tonight, the sermon is called the sword of the spirit. Everyone say the sword of the spirit. When we talk about the gospel, we need to understand that the gospel is actually a weapon that has never been defeated. It is the undefeated weapon of choice, is the gospel. The gospel is so powerful. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how powerful this message is. And the enemy knows how powerful the gospel is, so he tries to add to the gospel or water it down or get us to merely focus on Christian topics 
but not preach the gospel. I'm here to let you know that the gospel is Genesis to Revelation. Do you understand that Jesus, you can find him all throughout the Bible. It's not just Jesus crucified and resurrected is the gospel, but every story in the Bible talks of the gospel. You know what I'm saying? So we need to understand this as we're going forward. But I want you a, a, a quote the Lord gave me the other day that I want to share with you all, if you have not heard it yet, is scripture is not merely motivation for the day. It's ammunition for the war. Scripture is not merely motivation for the day, it's ammunition for the war. And if the gospel is a sword, which I'm going to give you scriptures, you need to learn how to swing it. If the gospel is a sword, you got to learn how to swing it. And we're going to get to a main passage where it'll really help you see in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful symbolism. But I just get a little, I get a little extra excited when I think you know, we all have testimonies in this room, right? If I went around the room and handed you the microphone, I guarantee you that you could tell me something that the Lord's done in your life or that you'd be thankful for, right? Because you know what a testimony is? A testimony is when the sword of the spirit in your hand drips with the blood of the devil. A testimony, a testimony is when you've used the word of the God, word of the Lord, and you've actually defeated an enemy with it. It means you've actually, you don't just know scripture, you've used scripture. And that's the thing is so many people can know about the gospel, but have they learned to swing it? Not at people, which a lot of Christians are doing right now in the political environment. And the enemy, how many people watch football or know about football or sports in general? You know, one of the things you'll know about sports is you'll hear this terminology, home field advantage. Have you ever heard of that before? Even if home field advantage, you know what home field advantage is? It means that if the team that's playing at home, they're comfortable with their facility. They know how everything goes. But the biggest element is the noise of the fans. It's like an extra player because when the opposite team is on the field, the fans will make a lot of noise to screw up their communication, right? The enemy gets home field advantage when you decide to war with flesh and blood instead of by the spirit. The temptation of the enemy is to draw you into flesh and blood because he'll eat your lunch. But when you stay in the spirit, he gets wrecked every time. And we have to understand how to use our weaponry. And maybe you don't hear about this a lot anymore. And that's why, and, and Joe, I really appreciate a few weeks ago when he taught on that there's a battle. And sometimes we hear about loving the Lord so much. And I, you know us here, that's all we're about. But you have to understand that you got to learn how to be a soldier. David was a lover of the Lord, but he knew how to fight. Amen. So, <laughs> You ready? Go to 2 Corinthians. I want to lay a little groundwork and then we'll get to our main passage. You know how it works around here. Scripture, scripture, scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 1. 
Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. I love that. This is what Paul is saying. When I'm, I'm a very meek person, but you know what? I got to say a few things right now via mail, and I'm going to get a little bold with y'all. I'm meek and humble, but you all been messing up. And I'm about to tell you how you've been messing up. I'm going to be a little bold. You know what he says after that? He says, but I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. What Paul is saying, I'm about to give you a warning. And when I get there, there's some people I know I'm still going to have to be bold to, but I pray that you hear my rebuke so I don't have to come and bring major correction. This is Paul speaking. And he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we all walk in the flesh here. We all have a body. We're living in this realm, but this world is not our home. We walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons, what? You got to stop here. Weapons? I thought this is all peace, brother. I thought this is all just, just love and warm feel. Weapons. Weapons. Paul's talking about a war weapon. What's going on? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Do you know what flesh and blood, if you want to just boil it all down to flesh and blood, warring with flesh and blood is warring with man's wisdom. Just break it all down to one thing, man's wisdom. You know how I can even prove that biblically? Joe was alluding to it even when he was talking about Peter. When in Matthew 16, 23, when Jesus rebukes Peter, Peter uses man's wisdom and says, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Jesus says to him, what? Get behind me, Satan, for you are mindful of the things of man, man not the things of God. Did you know that man's wisdom is Satan's doctrine? Man's wisdom is Satan's rhetoric. Man's wisdom is the gospel of hell. Man's wisdom is where people think that they can war with just knowing man's wisdom. You will get fried every time. This past year, we could go around the room. When you get into a political argument without the gospel, you will, it, it's a fruitless fight. The enemy wants to pull you into a fight without your sword. Do you see that? That's what flesh and blood, the devil wants to lure you in to a fight that you don't bring the sword. And you can't bring a sword with man's wisdom. You can only bring the gospel when you're seeing things by the spirit. Because it's a spiritual war. It's not a war with flesh and blood. And if we don't get this as a church, we're not going to see the power of God move in the way that we, that we want to be used. Who wants to be used by God to see the power? Well, you got to drop 
demand wisdom. You got to stop thinking this way. It's going to take the gospel going forth. We got to start preaching more of what Jesus has told us to, not just reacting to the things that are going on in the world. The world, it's going to get a lot worse and you're going to know when to stand up, know when to say something. But if you're going to stand up, make sure you stand up for Jesus, not what makes you comfortable. We have to make sure the gospel is what we are going after with everything. We are, I want to, a, a temptation, a temptation is a trap from the enemy to pull you out of an eternal perspective into a temporal perspective. Hence, when you hear the word temptation, what is the prefix? Temp, temporary, temporal. When the enemy tempts you, he's trying to pull you out of eternal perspective. Do you know why he wants to pull you out of eternal perspective? Because in eternity, he loses. In the temporary, he can convince you he wins. The eternal perspective is he loses. So temptation is trying to pull you out of eternity into temporary. Amen? So we got to catch that. So a couple of things about the sword, if you're taking notes. Ephesians 6, 17 says this, with the armor of God, I highly encourage everybody to read about the armor of God. Does everybody know that it says to put on the armor of God daily? Now, what that means is, you know, I've heard it in different perspectives, but you just have to understand that you have to be knowledgeable of what you're supposed to be wearing if you're in a, in a battle, right? You need to know the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the, your, the gospel uh, that shod your feet with peace. You need to know that in Ephesians 6, it says this. It'll say this in 617. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Everyone say sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. So do you see right here, what is the sword? It is the word of God. And you know what? In Revelation Three times it says that Jesus is coming back with what? A sword in his mouth. Do you want the references if you're taking notes? Revelation 19.15, Revelation 2.16, and Revelation 1.16. Jesus is coming back with a sword in his mouth. So what does that, what does that show us symbolically? That if we want to win a war, we have to do it with our mouth. Do you see that? How do you learn to swing the sword? With your mouth. With the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel going forth. The word of the Lord. Amen. Hebrews 4.12, we know well, for the word of God is what? Living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. This is so powerful because remember, what did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to bring peace in Matthew 10. I came to bring a what? Sword. Now, what is he? He's not talking about just dividing People amongst people. That's not, he's talking about dividing spiritual darkness from spiritual light. This is what the gospel does. When you start preaching the gospel, it exposes the darkness. We just think that exposing darkness is just, is just kind of finding something out or figuring something out. No, the gospel exposes the darkness that is in people's hearts and they begin to repent. Sometimes we think that, we, sometimes we think that police and things need to find out what's going on. Guess what? The gospel goes 
goes forward, even the most darkest people will have to get on their knees and they'll start saying, oh, oh, I did this, I did this, because the Holy Spirit will fall on people when the gospel goes forth. But the church is relying on the government to try to get justice. We need to go forward right now like never before. We need to go forward with the gospel. I know that some, sometimes we might be, what is, I just don't get it because we feel like we got to do something else. We got to do something else. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to say that you need to stand up for godly principles. I know, I hope everybody understands that. We stand up for godly principles. We, we exercise the rights that we have and we move forward with those things. But our number one priority is exposing darkness and revealing the kingdom of the son of his love through the gospel. Amen following. So piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. What does the word of God do? It divides man's wisdom from God's power. (laughs) Man's wisdom from God's power. And then as you keep reading, it says, and the joints and the marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is why everybody in this room say this out loud. I will read my Bible every day. Why? Because why would you, why would you go, why would you live a day unarmed? Why would you live a day unarmed? It's the sword of the spirit. I I heard a minister saying it stuck with me. Does anybody here in this room remember what they ate for lunch last Wednesday? No, but guess what? It It brought nourishment to your body, didn't it? You might not remember what you read last week in the Bible, but it brought nourishment to your spirit. Every time you read the word, whether you comprehend it or not, your spirit is getting more alive, more awakened to who you are. Amen. So Jesus came with a sword. I think it's so awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, want to see where we're at. I just, I want to read when we also heard about warfare. First Timothy, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read these out real quickly. If you're taking notes, just write them down. Warfare. First Timothy 1, 18 through 19. This is Paul telling Timothy, his son in the faith, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. How many people have had words spoken over their lives in the room? If you've actually been coming here for a while and you've come to the altar, I know a word's been spoken over you. A word has come forward, but not only the prophecies that have been spoken over to you in the now. Did you know that God has spoken a book full of prophecies over you? You know why I tell people to write things down? Because God thought it was pretty important. Just throwing it out there. Uh, He says, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare do you hear this? How do you war? The word of God that's been spoken over you that every time the enemy comes at you and says, oh, you're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You're like, I will live and declare the works of the Lord. Thus, you know what I'm saying? I shall live and not die. You know, you start preaching to yourself. You use that sword and you start swinging it when everybody else is saying, oh, everything's going to hell in a handbag. You say, no, I have yet to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You start swinging it. You start swinging it. You don't allow, you don't allow the enemy to come in and get in your thought life. So many people are like, I'm just, I just don't feel the Lord right now. What do you mean? Swing the sword. 
Swing the sword. The enemy's trying to get you to play on his field. You got to open your mouth. You got to open the book. You got to start speaking it. And when people do speak a word over you that is an elder or somebody that is a respectable man or woman of God, you write that down. And then when something comes to you one day, you remember, no, it was spoken over my life that I'm supposed to go to the nations. I'm not good. This is not my end. And you start warring over the call that's on your life. Is this helping anybody tonight? You got to learn to be a soldier. You got to learn. And then we got 1 Timothy 6:12. Fight the good fight of faith. Do you know why it's a good fight? Cuz we win. It's a good fight cuz we win. But you got to fight. You got you can't just sit around and just, you know, sit on a, you know, a, a cloud and play the harp and just sing how great is our God. You got you got to fight. You got to have the sword ready to go because the enemy is after your family the enemy is after your neighbors the enemy is after your community he's after things and you can everything can be okay with you but you are given a sword to to advance the kingdom of god take territory the enemy thinks he the enemy thinks he's got territory right now the church has to wake up The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the church needs to realize we're a son and daughter of the Most High. We need to start claiming territory back. Swing the sword. Amen. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, which is also called have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what is it saying again? How do you fight the good fight of faith? Confession. Speaking the word. What is the good confession? When you gave your life to the Lord. The same way you got saved, this is the same way you, you battle. You believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth. What do you have to do every day? Believe the word you read and confess it with your mouth. Speak it over and over. Speak it over your family, parents. You should, you know the best prayers to pray are the word of God. It doesn't return void. Isaiah 55, it tells us that the word of God does not return void. So why would you want to just make up some little prayer? I'm not saying you pray as you're inspired and you pray from your heart, but get scripture in your prayers. You know what I love about prayer? One side note is that when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, what is the first thing he said? Our father. Do you know why? He's showcasing that prayer is 100% relational. When he said, when you pray, pray like this, our father, he, he's showing that the same relationship he has with the father, he's inviting us into, but he's also showing that when you pray, it's all about you discovering you're a child of God. It's a conversation with your father. That's what prayer is. Isn't that amazing? The very first time he's asked how to pray, the King of Kings teaches us, this is how you pray, our father. It's you discovering your relationship with God. That's why it's good for you not to do the majority of the talking in prayer, right? You should listen. If you talk more, if you talk more than you listen in prayer, you've gravely mistaken the purpose of prayer. You listen. You get before him and you hear what he's saying. Amen. Let's go to the main text and then this will go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Does everybody remember when Jesus was first tempted in Matthew 4, Luke 4? What was the first thing he did when he was tempted of the enemy? He spoke the word of God, right? It is written. 
he swung the sword as soon as temptation came. Did you know the other thing? When the enemy tempts us, because did you know the Lord doesn't tempt you? It's in James that God does not tempt. He does not tempt you. The enemy comes and tempts you. So when the enemy tempts, one of the things he's doing is he's, he's trying to see if you still remember how good God is. When he tempts you, he's trying to see what you have forgotten. Because the truth you forsake, the truth you forget is the truth you forsake. You know, what you forget, you forsake. So when the enemy comes and he tempts you, he's trying to, he comes at a time where he's like, I wonder if they forgot how faithful he is. This bill that unexpectedly comes, let's just see if they remember how faithful God is. I know he's come through for them so many times, so let's just see if they forget. Let's see if they start waging war with flesh and blood instead of swinging the sword of the spirit. We got to be watchful. That's the three thing. The three thing. I know we have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life or how the temptations come. I just know that the devil wants to pull us out of eternal perspective, wants to pull us into temporal perspective. And not only that, he wants to see if we have forgotten how good God is. And we just have to be so watchful. That's why, what did the psalmist say? Forget not his benefits. It's a command to not forget. And do you know, everybody say this, we need the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Do you know why? Do you know why? John 14, 26. Remember we're talking about what the enemy is trying to see if you would forget. Well, what is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. So when temptation comes, the Holy Spirit will remind you how to swing the sword. That's why you need a radical relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's the one that helps you remember because our, our, our carnality forgets the faithfulness of God, but our spirit is ever ready to remember and ever ready to commune. Hallelujah. And what, I, I have to say this because we we're just talking about prayer. What does the Holy Spirit do for us in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4. The Holy Spirit cries out within us saying what? Abba, Father. And who was Jesus completely surrendered to? The Holy Spirit. So when he taught the disciples to pray, what did he say? Our Father. He was teaching to pray how the Holy Spirit taught him as a man to pray. Isn't that powerful? It's so simple. Our Father. The Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It's 100% relational. Going to this. So we're in 1 Samuel 21. This is a crazy story. Does everybody remember David and Goliath? I mean, you don't even have to be a born-again believer to know the story of David and Goliath. Is that true? It is just one of those cinematic narratives. It's one of those cinematic stories that it's just everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. It's that profound. And a few chapters before where we're at, David and Goliath takes place. And David was anointed a king as a young boy, but it didn't manifest right away. He kept taking care of the sheep, his father's sheep. He kept just being a good, diligent son of his father and was doing everything he needed to do. Amen. Is it important that we're faithful to the tasks that are before us? Sometimes people get so focused on the future that they forget to be a good steward of the now. 
Amen. You have to be focused on what's before you as well and ask the Lord for wisdom on how to steward it to the best of your ability. So David is intimate with God out in the field, just serving and taking care of the sheep, becoming to know. And one day his father tells David to go bring his brother, his brother, some sandwiches, some food while they're out on the field battling. He goes to tell them, you know, he just tells them to take some grilled cheeses out to his, his brothers on the battlefield. Now, when David goes to do this, he was anointed a king as a young boy. He's been just taking care of the sheep, worshiping the Lord, going before God. And then he gets to the battlefield and he sees the whole nation of Israel is a bunch of cowards. Have you ever looked at the church and we're like, wow, seems like we're a bunch of cowards all of a sudden. Like you, you're just looking, why is everybody so defeated? What? And David's like wondering what's going on. And then this giant of a man, Goliath, nine feet tall, a trained assassin, a militant trained assassin is screaming at the top of his lungs, just send your best. We'll go mano y mano and whoever wins will take all the territory. Will be, and since nobody would challenge him, all the Israelites were so scared they wouldn't challenge him that Goliath is just threatening the nation every day. Did you know that this is how the enemy works? All he is is all talk. Nobody's challenging him. He's just, he's just running the lot. He's just saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. But this is what all these Israelites, they're all scared. And David, he wasn't even there to fight. He was just bringing sandwiches. But he has been so intimate with the Lord that he knows when there's a spiritual war. All the Israelites were intimidated by what was going on in the natural that they never saw the spiritual side of it. But since David was intimate with the Lord, he shows up and what everybody else hears as an intimidating threat, David says, who's talking about God that way? He's a little boy. I just want you all to know he's still a teenager and he sees a nine foot giant, a militant giant, and he hears a bunch of blasphemy and he knows it's a spiritual war. And he says, why isn't anybody taking him out? And everybody's like, what do you, you know, they just think he's just a rebellious little teenager. Like get back. What are you talking? But David, he, he keeps pushing. He's like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't get this. Is anybody else with me that why is the enemy taking territory in my town? In my, you know, you see all of a sudden, all of a sudden this little boy is teaching a nation that we need to honor God and we're not going to let the devil take our land. Not going to do it. So David, he gets all the, finally they let him go. And you know why they let him go? There's a statement that's made that Saul and the people said, I haven't heard anybody speak like this before because people don't know what spiritual talk is till it happens. So somebody starts speaking the gospel, all of a sudden you get favor and they put you on the front lines and you're like, you're on, you, you don't look like you can get it done, but guess what? The unseen realm is more real than the seen realm. And we've all heard it that when David, he's, he picks up five stones, but then he, he, only, he only took one to take the giant out. And I, I, I love the illustration that when he, he, he went to pull the slingshot back, that God just flicked it for him and put the little extra power on it. And it just took Goliath out. But that's not where the story ends because Goliath had a sword. What are we talking about tonight? The sword of the spirit. And you know what David did? He didn't just take the enemy out. 
he didn't just hit him with the, the stone and he hit the deck. He went over, grabbed the sucker's sword, and then he cut his head off. Everybody's like, what has this kid been doing out there with the sheep? It's like Chuck Norris rolled up in here. Like, what is Rambo just showed up? You know, it's like, what is going on? This, this little boy, he knew to take the sword. But you know what's so powerful about this is the gospel is seen everywhere. Remember when Adam gave in to the, the enemy in the garden, the serpent? Guess what? He surrendered all the authority to the devil, right? But guess what? David, in this story, he takes the sword of the enemy he takes the authority back and then he cuts the head off. Amen. Do you see the gospel right there? So I wanted to give that real quick and we'll read this passage. And I want you to see that that sword was so powerful, right? It was a sword that meant something to him. Does anybody have some scriptures in the room that mean something to you? That you just hear some, some people in this room, there might be a, a passage, a scripture that every time you read it, you cry. It might be a passage that every time you read it, you see a family member that got healed. Every time you read it, you remember how God came through for you at a moment where it was crazy. Every time that sword that he killed Goliath with, you have to realize that sword probably was special to him, right? It was like a trophy. God's word, the sword of the spirit. So in 1 Samuel 21, Saul, who was the, pres the current king when David was there, Saul wanted to kill David because David's fame was growing. You know, the, the, Saul was the king at the time and he was too scared to fight. But this little teenager showed him up. And that's what I want us to know as the church. You better step out on what God's called you to do or somebody younger or somebody that seems way less qualified than you, God's gonna just push him in front of you saying you're, you took too long. I know, and some of us are like, that's harsh. You know, God, you, you have to realize we only live for a little bit. You gotta, we gotta get with it. I want everybody at Gold Street Garden to fulfill their high calling in Christ Jesus. I want you, when you run through the finish line, to be like, ah! you know what I'm saying? I don't want anybody like, oh man, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go through the finish line yet. There were still a few things I wanna do. I just want us all going like dumping Gatorade on each other. Like, yes, whoa. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like we're excited, giving each other high fives, chest bumps, you know, the, just the guys. But you know, <laughs> so we're talking about football earlier. That's why it happened. So, <laughs> but when we have this, we just have to know that Saul is wanting to kill David. He's on the run. So David has done all these great things for the nation, but now he's running for his life. Has anybody in the room, you know, you've done things for the Lord before, or you may have even had a spiritual high before with God, and maybe you've been at a place you can testify, or maybe you're there right now where you're like, I just feel like I'm unprepared for this moment I'm in. Can anybody be vulnerable enough that you may have been there before, that been in a, been in a moment where like, wow, I just wasn't prepared for this. Like, what is going on? And David, he's defeated a giant. He's gone, and he's, he's running for his life now. And he's just running because he did everything right. It's like Jesus. He's just running for his life. So I want to read this. First Samuel 21. Now David came to Nob. It's a weird name for a city. To Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone? 
isn't it funny that people feared David, right? It's like when David comes around, it's like, man, this is the guy that killed Goliath. Same thing, the enemy. This is what happens when you show up, when you learn how to swing the sword. Remember the, the devil talked in the book of Acts, spoke up to the magistrate and said, you know, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but who are you? The devil knows who swings the sword. Come on. The devil knows who can swing the sword. <laughs> so Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. He said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. Everyone say holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priest and said to him, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. How many of us know that in order to fight, you need strength? And what is the word of God as well? It's the bread of God. And that here you see David's on the run and the priest, as a symbolic nature of Jesus, is feeding him holy bread on his journey. You need strength to fight. But then in verse 6, it says, So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread, but there was showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or sword? So David doesn't have any weaponry no weapons, and he's on the run. For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. Now check this out. He's asking the priest for a sword or, or a spear. And then we find verse nine. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Allah, there it is wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Check this out. Are you with me right here? That David, he was running for his life. He's in the, this, this horrible place. We're talking about the sword of the spirit. When he asked the priest, is there any weaponry here? Guess what? The Lord would have it inspired that we would read it today. That when David had no weapon, that in the house of God, hidden behind the ephod. You know what an ephod is? An ephod is a breast uh, article. Uh, it's an arm, a breastplate that the priest would wear to minister to the Lord. The victory sword was behind the ministering of the Lord. That when he ministered to the Lord, that's where the weapon was. The weapon of victory is always behind worship. It's always hidden in worship. And when he grabbed that sword, what do you think went through his, his mind, his heart when he grabbed that sword? He's running for his life, but as soon as he picks that sword up, he remembers, I took a giant out with this sword. I'm here to remind you tonight that you need to fall in love with the word of God again. Because some of you haven't read some of those scriptures in a while. 
and you read those passages and you read that passage and all of a sudden you're like, I remember when I got that breakthrough in the hospital with by his stripes, I'm healed. I remember when I swung that sword. I remember that victory. I remember when I was going to be kicked out of my home and I started believing that my Lord, that that there is no lack in my home. I started believing the promises of God and he came through. You know, you start swinging those sword of the spirit. And this is what happened that we have this story because the sword of the spirit is so important and you got to know how to use it. You got to know how to speak it out over your family, over your lives. And the enemy is trying to take territory. He's trying to manipulate right now. He's trying to get people involved in arguments that there is no way out. But the gospel is where the power of God lies. Amen. I just want to say a quick prayer and then uh, we'll be dismissed and you guys can go swing your swords on society. <laughs> so Lord, we just thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for the word that was spoken, God. God, we pray that you come and water the seed and that this week, God, we swing our swords and the gospel's proclaimed. Lord, we thank you. Bless our pastor. Bless his family. Bless everyone's family here in the congregation. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Hallelujah.